0: We'll be looking at uh, a passage out of Luke chapter 2 this morning, beginning with first, verse 22. Um, Steve and Rachel are spending the Sunday morning in a church in Salem with their daughter Sophie. So we're glad they can have a chance to relax a little bit and resource and get ready for the next year. My name, did I tell you my name's Randy already? I don't know if I did. Randy already? All right, you guys. Okay, Luke chapter two verses twenty-two through thirty-nine. I'll be reading in just a moment. Um, just was thinking about end of the year and trying to tie this all in with new year and end of year and everything. If you stopped and thought for a little bit, if if you could remove one thing from your life that would make your life better, what would you eliminate? Now, I'm not looking for the Sunday morning answer. <laughs> looking for the Tuesday morning answer or the Wednesday afternoon when you're on your way to pick up your kids and the meal's not ready and you got three other things you're supposed to do in the next 4 hours or maybe the Saturday morning one when, when you try to balance your checkbook or but it might be the same as your Sunday morning answer. But Think about it for a minute. If there, if, if you had one wish and you could remove one thing, you know, would it be sickness? Would it be debt? Would it be some troubling person or some troubling person's personality that you would fix? This morning we're going to talk about salvation, which is a very Christian religious word, but I always like looking up the word in a secular dictionary just to get a sense for what the word means in its general context. And so. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that salvation is the the preservation from destruction or failure. It's also the deliverance from danger or difficulty. So we get this idea that when we talk about salvation, we're talking about deliverance or protection from bad stuff. The key, if you only get one thing this morning out of Those scriptures that it would be and found in verse 30, and we'll come back to this. But just before we start reading, I'll let you know where the, the focal point is this morning, where I think the Lord wants us to head this morning. When Simeon's there in the temple and he's holding the baby Jesus at 40 days old. I thought about having Henry Higgins in my arms this morning, but he's already 63 days old almost, so he's a little old. But Simeon holds this baby and says to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. Stand with me if you will, and we'll read from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 39. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, that is, Joseph and Mary and Jesus... And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, "Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall, fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess Anna in the, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a, window until she, a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that tells us about yourself, that reveals what we would have never guessed if we had tried to figure it out on our own. Give us hearts, Lord, to lay hold of that by faith. Give us minds to grasp what you've shown us about yourself and about ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would go from this place more aware of who you are and who we are, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So, beginning in verse 22, we see that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, four weeks ago when I spoke, I made a mistake, and I said that this took place when Jesus was eight days old. And so, the thing about, no matter how old you are, the more you read the scriptures, the more you realize there's things you thought you knew that you didn't know. And uh, David... (laughs) Let's start over here. Jesus, at this point, is 40 days old. He's not 8 days old. He was 8 days old when he was circumcised, but now, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, it says, this you can find in Leviticus 12, if you want to research that a little bit, but at that point, if you had a male child, you brought him and dedicated him to the Lord, and the... The wife was declared clean again and purified, and this was when the child, the male child was 40 days old. And so this is the reason they come up to Jerusalem when Jesus is, is uh, 40 days old. But I want you to notice here um, the repeated mention that Mary and Joseph were acting in accordance with the law. That when you read Scripture, anytime you read Scripture, especially if you read it over and over again, and you start seeing a word or a phrase or an idea that's repeated many times, that should trigger something in your mind to say, okay, the author must be trying to make a point here. And if if we look in this passage, we'll see five times that Luke is stressing that what Mary and Joseph are doing is According to the law of Moses, verse 22. And then verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And then verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And then in verse 27, according to the custom of the law. And then he tells what says what Simeon says, and then says what Anna says. And then to wrap up this piece of his. Recounting of Jesus' life in verse 39 when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. So, Luke's really emphasizing this. I don't know if this is it me doing this, okay? Anyway, just so you know, I'm aware of the problem too, but I don't know how to fix it. So, Luke, Luke is trying to make an emphasis here that Jesus is coming. And he's, even as a child, he's fulfilling everything that the law declared. Now, I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, and I went back and t- to see when Luke wrote his gospel. And best guess is, the earliest guess is that he wrote it around 62 A.D. And some say maybe later in the 70s A.D. But that was when he wrote this gospel, when he collected all the information and wrote it all down. But Luke was a partner with Paul for over a decade before he wrote this gospel. And I couldn't help my mind going back to Galatians that Paul wrote in the 40s AD. And Luke has spent, I mean, Luke traveled with Paul and Paul preached every day. So Luke was just immersed in the gospel as Paul had declared it. And I couldn't help but keep, I kept going back to Galatians chapter 4 when when Paul is writing and trying to convince these people that wanted to go back under this performance-based relationship with God and go back to the law, I couldn't help but keep thinking of this statement that Paul had obviously, Luke had probably heard Paul say hundreds of times in chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, and I think Paul, Luke, by the Holy Spirit's direction, as he's writing this down, wants to make a point here that this salvation that he's gonna de- that Simeon's gonna declare in just a little bit, this is coming from someone who is born of a woman, and born under the law, who lived his whole life, even as an infant, when he didn't even have the choice himself, when somebody else was caring for him, he was still living under the law, so that by the end of his life, when he gave up that life, it was a perfect life that had fulfilled every single requirement demanded by the law of God so that he could pay for the sins of all the rest of us who have violated that law over and over and over again. So Mary and Joseph come to Jerusalem, and then in verse 25 we see the other main character in this event, which is Simeon. Now, we don't know a whole lot about him, but verse 25 tells us he was righteous and devout. We don't know if he was an old man, but he makes reference a little bit later that, okay, now I can die because I've seen your salvation. So I'm guessing he was older. He only had one thing on his bucket list. It was the one thing the Lord gave him for his bucket list, and he said, you're going to get to see the Messiah. Before you die. We know he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. An interesting way of expressing what the Messiah would bring. And God had told him that he would see the Messiah before he died. Now just as, Paul, or just as Luke has repeated over and over again this reference to Mary and Joseph acting in accordance with the law. Which I think is important. We find Luke repeating something at three times here before Simeon makes his declaration, he wants to make it very clear that there's something going on here that's more than just human in its origins. And he repeats the reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life that's going to tie all this together. So in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's the first reference. And then in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this wasn't just a a hope he had. I hope that I get to see the Messiah before I die. This was something that the Spirit of God had told him, you're going to get to do this. And then the third reference in verse 27, he comes in the Spirit into the temple. Now Luke doesn't just say he came into the temple. He wants to be very clear that this is a divine appointment orchestrated by the creator of the universe, a divine appointment between the parents and the child born of a woman, born under the law, who are doing everything according to the law. And then there's this connection with this man who was, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had the Spirit's revelation. He was going to see the Messiah before he died. And now... In the spirit, he comes into the temple. And we have this connection here. And so we see the plan coming together. And then a little bit later, we have Anna, another old person. It's almost this picture, and maybe I don't want to get too far out into symbolism, but it's almost as if you've got this old way of doing things coming to an end, and you've got God's new fulfillment of all the things that are in in the Old Testament being fulfilled. And so you have this... Itty-bitty 40-day-old baby. and Anna's at least 84, and some people think she might have been over 100, depending on how you read that verse about her age. Simeon's just waiting to kick the bucket. All he's got left to do is see the Messiah, and then he's ready to go home. So you got this old thing coming to an end, and then the Lord's salvation appearing, which the whole old thing spoke about and pointed to. And so this spirit-led man enters, in verse 27, he enters into the temple under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And in obedience to law, this young family also enters into the temple. And Simeon comes up to them and takes the child Jesus in his arms. And he doesn't bless the child. He blesses God. Verse 28. Takes him up in his arms. Blessed God and said, Lord, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Basically, okay, I can die now, and I can die in peace because the last thing on my bucket list has been checked off. I got to see the Lord's salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, verse 30, that you have prepared prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, please get this. He's looking at a baby. He looks at this baby, and there were babies all over the place, I'm sure. And he's looking at this 40-day-old baby, and he says, My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. God in the flesh under the Spirit's direction the Holy Spirit of God says this is my salvation you can't make this stuff up you can't come up with anything as absurd as this and still have it to be true I want you to notice that this salvation was God's salvation Simon says I have seen our salvation he doesn't say that <clears throat> he says I have seen your salvation This is God's deliverance from the bad stuff. And notice that you have prepared. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he recognizes this as God's salvation that you have prepared. (coughs) I don't know how much understanding Simeon had, but the Holy Spirit had all the understanding and he he was prompting Simeon to say this. And this salvation that God had prepared went clear back to Adam and Eve. And God had been working on this for millennia. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, decided to do things their own way, decided they knew as well as God, if not better, and they sinned, and God prophesied at that time that her seed would take care of the serpent. And then the whole Old Testament law, Showing us we weren't what we should be. Showing us we weren't at all able to fulfill righteous demands. But God was preparing and pointing here and there to his salvation. And then, excuse me, here's this baby. And Simeon says, this is your salvation that you have prepared. Notice also that the salvation is for all peoples. Verse 31. Now, right after Simeon gets through talking, it says Joseph and Mary marveled. And I'm not sure why they marveled, because an angel had appeared to Joseph about 11 months before, and he'd appeared to Mary about 11 months before. They had spent 40 days with a newborn, so that may explain a little bit of their confusion. I mean... But I don't think that was it. I wonder, though, and I'm, I can't be sure, but I wonder if the marveling, they knew that Jesus was going to save his people from his sins. I mean, that's what the angel had said to, <clears throat> to Joseph, and that's that his name was Savior. He was going to save his people from his sins. But maybe, I wonder if they marveled because Simeon says that this is a salvation that is prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So it's not just that God is going to save the people that he had set apart for himself under the old covenant, but this salvation is prepared for all peoples, for the Gentiles and the Jews. Up until now, the nation of Israel was God's chosen instrument, but now the true Israel, Jesus himself, was going to be revealed and was being revealed and provide salvation for all peoples. The main point I want to focus on and stress this morning can't even see the clock anymore with this new lighting is that God's salvation is a person. Now, I grew up in the church. I mean, almost literally, five times a week, I was in the building. Plus, any other time there was a meeting and we cleaned the church a few times. and so. But there's a difference between thinking of god's salvation as some kind of a plan that he's laid out that you kind of sign up and agree to and seeing god's salvation as a person that he's provided for you and for me god's salvation is a person and that's why i really want to emphasize this fact that here simeon is holding this baby and he says i have seen your salvation flesh and blood god man this is our salvation. This is God's provision. This is his salvation for you and for me. I already mentioned that the angel had told Joseph his name would be Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. But I want to take you for a little bit here into Hebrews and Romans. So Hebrews, if you go to the back of your Bible and Revelation, and then there's John and James, you'll get to Hebrews. It's a little bit of a long book. I just want to see how the consistency here in the scriptures that the salvation is focused on a person. It's not just, and I don't want to minimize this in any way, shape, or form, that Jesus died for me on the cross. That is true. And without that, we would not be saved. But Jesus himself, the historical, real person, Jesus, is our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 and then we'll go to chapter 5. Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry. I couldn't believe it was I still had that much time. That's why I was <laughs> Tell smart jokes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 The toughest thing for me speaking with you is to forget myself and focus on him. And so I apologize for any distractions this morning. But I just want you to see what the writer of the Hebrews says here about Jesus in terms of salvation. Chapter 2, verse 10. It was fitting that He, that is God, for whom and by whom all things exist. That's a phrase in itself. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that He should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus is the founder, or other translations say author. Okay? And then down in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. Here's that little 40-day-old flesh and blood salvation here. That's why, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, in verse 15, and deliver, another way of saying save, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Then down in verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Long, fancy word, propitiation. It means to satisfy God's wrath. Some have described it as God's shock absorber to take away God's wrath. And then down over to chapter 5, we're not really doing a deep study here, but I just want you to see the statements there. In chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Speaking of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And that doesn't mean he was disobedient. It just means as a flesh and blood human being, still fully God, but fully man, he learned how to obey as a human being. It doesn't mean he disobeyed, but it was just he experienced every temptation and conquered every temptation, never failed, but he learned what it was to obey as a human being. And then, once made perfect, as that what it says in verse 9? Being made perfect, that is, complete and mature, not in the sense of he was imperfect, but just that he wasn't a fully tested human being until this point, Laos, mature, fully ex- using all of his capacities as a human being, tested in every way. What did he become? the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So in chapter 2, he's, the writer of Hebrews calls him the founder of our salvation. And then in chapter 5, the source of eternal salvation. Now if we'll go over to Romans chapter 5 for a little bit. Romans, if you keep backing up from Hebrews and you get to Acts, you've gone one book too far, but it's right there after Acts in the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. And we won't go real deep, but I just want to show you that this focus is the person. What he did, yes, but it's the person. While we were still weak, verse 6, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. One will scarcely die, verse 7, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now this is the point I want to focus on, verse 9 and 10. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, and we sang about that this morning, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? Verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved, how? By his life. Friends, the good news of Jesus Christ isn't just about one act totally separated from the rest of the person of Jesus Christ. That act is essential. That act is what saves us. But it only saves us because it was done by a person who was perfect and fully mature, and who three days later was raised from the dead, and then 40 days after that ascended into glory, and who poured out His Spirit upon us who believe on Him. Now, Romans chapter 6. This is is the good stuff. Chapter 6, verse 3, talking about baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And notice, you're going to see this six times in this passage. With him, in him. This identification with a person, not a doctrine. The doctrine is essential. It is correct, and you don't want to change it, but it's only valuable because it's attached to the person of Jesus Christ, the biblical, biblically revealed person of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot of other Jesuses out there that have been manufactured and, and tweaked to, to make us feel good, but the, the biblical, biblically revealed Son of God who came as a baby, it's with Him that we have life. Okay. Back to three, we'll go, go back again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know that? That when you were baptized into Jesus, you were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him See that identification again? By baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, and that's already happened, by the way. We're not talking about a death later on. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him In a resurrection like His, we know that our old self was crucified with Him. Did you know that? If you've been baptized into Christ, your old self has already been crucified with Christ? In order, why? In verse 6, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Some translators say rendered powerless. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. See, baptism is more than just a public commitment to Christianity or even a commitment to Jesus. It's more than me saying, yeah, I believe. It is that. But biblically, in the plan of salvation that God has provided in the person of Jesus Christ, it's an identification with Christ in His death and resurrection. It's a declaration that I am starting a new life, really, spiritually. It's a declaration that because of Him, we are free from the obligation to sin. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, says that in Christ the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, which was once a 40-day-old baby. That part I put in. That's not in Colossians. But, and it grew up. That fullness of God dwells in bodily form, and you have been given fullness Where? in Him. Friends, that's where our salvation is. That's where our life is. It's in the person of Jesus Christ, the historical, real God-man who came and walked on this earth, who had his diapers changed, grew up and obeyed his mom and dad, faced every temptation you and I can ever imagine, even though there weren't any electronic devices, the root of those temptations are the same, no matter what the instrument is that they come by. He faced all of that, and he was victorious. This real human divine person who came in, li- in time as an infant and lived a perfect life and then took on other people's sin upon himself and died in their place, then was raised to life and ascended into heaven, this person is God's salvation. It is him. Nothing else. You're not going to find salvation anywhere else. Not in your performance, not in your prayer life, not in your Bible reading, not in personal discipline. Those are all important. But only if they point you to Him. You can read through your Bible every year for every year of your life, and if it doesn't take you to Jesus, you're just reading a book. You can pray hours a day, every day, for the rest of your life. And if it doesn't take you to Jesus, it's not going to do you any good. He is God's salvation. He is God's provision. And we'll only find salvation in Him and nowhere else. That's what John said in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony, John says. <laughs> okay, this is what we got to say, said John. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life." You know, the early Christians didn't call themselves Christians. It's only found the word Christian is only found three or four times in the Bible, and never in those uh, situations are Christians calling themselves that. It's what other people called them. It was a derogatory term which meant little Christs. Oh, look at all those little Christs running around. The big statement in Scripture when referring to Christians, referring to believers is those who are in Christ. That is how Paul and other writers in the New Testament identified those who put their faith in Christ. They are those who are in Christ or in whom Christ lives. i did a little research, the count's not exact, but it's over 300 times you're going to find in Him, with Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, all these statements in the New Testament and the epistles that show that our identity is is a person, it's our identification with Him. When Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, I hope I'm not repeating myself every time I speak to you, but what's eternal life? Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." That's eternal life. Interestingly, most people, when they talk about heaven, don't talk about Him. But those who are in Christ say, I get to go be with Him. I'm already in Him, and He's in me, and He is the one who has my life. So I understand with Paul. When he wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, he talks about the mystery hidden for ages and generations. This baby, this 40-day-old baby that Simeon saw, and the Spirit says, this is my salvation. This mystery hidden for ages and generations, and he says what the mystery is, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's your hope, friends. It's not a doctrine of salvation. It is salvation, the person, Jesus Christ. He is your hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then, obviously, Paul says that afterwards. Him we proclaim. This is our declaration as believers. Jesus Christ. All the doctrines are good, and they need to be right, but they've got to lead us to Him. Now, I'm not saying, and this is the, the other error is, oh, it's just Jesus the person, and then we kind of make up what we think He's like, and we kind of craft Him and, and tweak Him and form Him and shape Him. I'm not saying that it's just Jesus and doctrine doesn't matter. It does. It matters immensely. But because it's because we got to get that right so we make sure that we're worshiping the true Jesus Christ and not something out of our own imagination. But this is this is life itself. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know that reality in your life today? That the life you're living as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're living by faith in him, and it's no longer you who live, it's Christ living in you. And if you're honest, you say, yeah, sometimes it's, I, I know it's working, and other times it's not. And that's the, that's the struggle between now and the time he comes back. Peter says, when he writes in the first epistle of Peter's in, Peter in the first chapter, he talks about you are receiving the goal of your salvation. I'm sorry, you're receiving the goal of your faith. What's the goal of their faith? It's the salvation of your souls. What's the goal of your faith? Better life, better marriage, better health, better job. Those are all good, and we need to take everything to the Lord. But ultimately, the goal of true, God-given faith is the salvation of our souls. And in chapter 2, in 1 Peter, he talks about growing up into salvation. This idea of developing and learning how to appropriate on our daily basis this salvation that came in the flesh, and who is now ascended, and whose spirit lives in us, so that we no longer live according to our own desires, but we live according to the will of God. That's our salvation. And it's good news for everybody. But the sad thing is that the good news of salvation isn't good news to everybody because Jesus exposes us for who we really are. And if we don't want to face that reality, the good news of Jesus Christ is offensive. To say the least. And that's how Simeon concludes here with what he has to say. Mom and dad, earthly dad Joseph, legal dad Joseph, and mom are marveling. And Simeon turns to them and he blesses them. And he says to Mary, This child, this God man, is appointed. Notice the intentionality in God's plan. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel." He's going to shake things up. Now, it could mean the fall of some, which happened, the Pharisees and those who pretended to be good guys, and then when the good guys showed up, they were seen for what they were, and they weren't good, and they crucified Him. So, in that sense, there's a falling of a certain group And a rising of others like Peter and those other knuckleheads who were still trying to figure out what happened even after Jesus was raised from the dead. And they were elevated in a sense, and they became the apostles of the church. Another way of looking at it is that it's the falling of anybody who sees Jesus, the falling to the point of realizing they need a Savior, and then the rising of how the Lord lifts them up after they put their faith. So, we're not quite sure exactly what the falling and rising is, and both things could be true. But the point is, when Jesus shows up, things get shaken up. And then notice, it goes on, for a sign. He's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Part of God's intention in bringing Jesus and making his son into human flesh, part of his intention was to show the people that were truly opposed to God, even though they said the right things. Because Jesus will bring out in you things you didn't even know were there. And that's after making a reference to Mary in verse 35, that she was going to suffer some personal grief as she We know later, as she saw her son be crucified. But the purpose of the the sign that is opposed, the end of verse 35, is so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Nothing like a good, honest glimpse into the person of Jesus Christ to see what you really think of him. See, if we can make him up, if we can design him for ourselves, we make him the way that doesn't make us look bad. But when we come to the Scripture, we end up like Peter at that one point, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Or others in Scripture that just, that publican, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Be propitious. See, many people don't, just simply don't want God's salvation. Many people want Jesus to help them achieve their dreams. Many people want Jesus to help them solve certain problems in their life. But they don't want Jesus to save them from their biggest problem, which is themselves. Have you got that far in your walk with the Lord where you realize God's (laughs) primary agenda for you is to make you like Christ? You've put your faith in Christ. You've died with him. You've been raised to life with him if you put your faith in him. And you find out there's things in your life that aren't consistent with that new life in Christ. And God is working you over to bring out what he's put in you and to get rid of all that is opposed to who he is. See, a lot of people think God helps good people who are trying their best. And for some of you, maybe even here this morning, you know, you come to Creekside, you're trying your best. You're asking God to help you out and you think that being a Christian is just, you know, you just do your best and admit when you're wrong. But that's not the life that God's given us in Christ. The life that God's given us in Christ is He is saving us from ourselves. (laughs) And part of the beauty of the body of Christ, all of us together who are in Christ, is we together get to remind each other of both the positive and the negatives of the gospel. If we are really loving each other, we should be reminding each other, you know, that's not who you are in Christ. Yes, he loves you and he's forgiven you and you're going to glory, but what you're doing today is not consistent with who you are in Christ. And then our brother or sister who is discouraged and downcast and they can't get it right, no, Christ is your salvation. Look to him. Look to Him today. See what that means for you today. And so when I, when I ask you, you know, what do you want relief from this year? If you could have one thing changed, my friend Matt piped up with sin. Well, that'd be the one thing he'd get rid of. And he's not far wrong on that. But Lord, you know, the deepest need we have is to be transformed into the image of Christ. And that's only possible because He's already dwelling in us if we've put our faith in Him. But He is our salvation. I want to encourage you this morning. For all your Bible reading, and I'm, you need to do it. You need, probably need to do it more. For all your prayers, you probably need to pray more. For all of the efforts you make to serve and help. Those are all great things, and you need to do those things. But realize that Jesus is your salvation. He is the only one that will make all of that stuff produce any fruit for eternity. And like Peter wrote to those believers there in uh, Asia Minor back in the day, you know, just desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow up in your salvation. Your faith, the goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul. God wants to save your soul. Now, yeah, you may have already put your faith in him, and if you haven't, do that. Look to Christ this morning for forgiveness for eternity, but know that you're signing up for a lifelong purification process where Christ becomes more and more your life and you become less and less your life. I pray for myself this year and I pray for you guys that we learn more what it means that Jesus Christ is our salvation and that the main thing that he's saving us from is everything we are without him. No matter how good it might look. And we need to encourage each other and pray for each other and look forward to the day when Paul says, we don't know, or John says, we don't know what we're going to be like, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We'll see him as he is. And that salvation will finally be completed. Since penalty has been taken care of, we don't fear the wrath of God if we've put our faith in him. We're still learning how Christ has given us deliverance from sin's power. In a, our daily decisions, and then finally, one day, we will be finally delivered from sin's presence. And what a day that's going to be. The worship team can come. I just want to pray for just a sec here. Father, you know what you wanted to say to each one. I pray that you would say that. And just whatever I've said that's gotten away, I pray that you'd help them to forget it. Whatever you, you've said that you want to, Bring home, Lord, drive it home to each of our lives. We want to be people who know you, Lord Jesus, as our salvation in the fullest, deepest sense of the term. Help us not to be satisfied just with the fact that our sins are forgiven and one day we get to be with you, but that you actually want to set us free to live a life in Christ and by Christ that'll blow the socks off of everybody we meet. and They won't think about us, but they'll realize there must be a God because of the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen.